Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and in this edition, we continue our very special series, My OSI Journey, which showcases the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members. And today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Colonel Ryan Hendricks, the Staff Judge Advocate for Headquarters OSI. Colonel Hendricks, welcome aboard to the program. Great to have you have you with us. Thanks for having me aboard. Now, uh, I'd like to lead off, and I use that term specifically, sir, because uh, for our listeners out there, uh, you had a very interesting uh, uh, career choice originally. You were a professional baseball player for a few years. Now, uh, could you kind of spin our listeners up on that and uh, how you made the transition from the diamond to the courtroom? Absolutely. Uh, well, I am the son of a professional baseball player, Elrod Hendricks, and uh, grew up in and around the game, growing in and around professional athletes my whole life. Actually wasn't drawn to baseball immediately. Uh, was always a sports draw, I guess, because of the uh, background, if you will. Right. Uh-huh. But the first love was football. Mom wanted no part of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can relate so to I that, think, Colonel. My dad did yes. want me to play football, too. So. <laughs> Yeah, there's probably many kids, right? Especially yeah. even today, now that we know more about the sport. But sure. so, mom wanted no part of me playing football. So, but I, that was that, of course, with any child, drew them more to it, right? So, mm-hmm. I was all about it, and I was a three-sport athlete in high school. Probably basketball was my favorite sport, or my best sport, actually. Right. But it wasn't until I was a teenager, because my dad had seen the um, the the effects of pushing a kid too hard in one direction, especially uh-huh. the sons of athletes tons of athletes so he didn't he he took a very hands-off approach and i appreciate that i appreciate love him for that but uh it wasn't until i was a teenager that i decided that i wanted to play baseball and then actually took a conversation between my mom and dad to go okay ryan's made the choice so you need to (laughs) you are a professional coach you need to help him right so um from that point on it was all in uh it was tons of baseball love my mom for all the hours and parents don't get enough credit for any of the athletes that we see today doing great things because they put in hours and money and sure. time that, that, that just goes, I wouldn't say un, unappreciated or unnoticed, but by the masses, it definitely goes unnoticed. The, the, right, the travel right. and, you know, many parents or many kids have the benefit of two parents and much like men, much like military kids, um, professional athletes obviously are gone for at least half of the year. Right. Uh, doing what it is that they do, putting money on the, excuse me, putting food on the table for the family. So uh-huh. in baseball, being the grind that it is, 162 game season. So right. in 80, 80 of those games are on the road. <laughs> right. That doesn't include travel time or spring training. So you can do the math. You can figure out that, you know, a lot of that time is gone. So a lot of time was on my mom. That that just was thrust from my mom's shoulders. But right. um, all in on baseball. Right. From that point in, uh, Parents very much instilled in me that school was always a priority, that there had to be uh, life after baseball. Uh, but before, we go, before we go into life after baseball, Colonel, uh, we'd like to bring up uh, one important fact for our uh, listeners that uh, you were a pretty good baseball player uh, in the day uh, because you were drafted uh, by your hometown Baltimore Orioles in the 38th round of the 1994 Major League Baseball uh, Amateur Draft from uh, St. Andrews University in uh, Larenburg, North Carolina. So uh, uh, I think uh, before you went into the to the legal profession, uh, uh, you did make your mark in baseball. 
<laughs> no, and that's what I was saying. Mom, mom and dad instilled in me very much so early on that it wasn't just going to be all baseball, that you had to know what it, or you had to have something to fall back on. Right. Maybe right. baseball wouldn't work out. Maybe you'd get hurt. And I did. Um, uh-huh. Or, or um, anything. Or bottom line is most major, you know, most even major league baseball careers last less than 10 years. And sure. You have the rest sure. of your life to figure out what it is that you want to do. Right. And so they stress school. And so even when I came out of high school, although there was interest, I made it really clear to every scout that was talking to me that I was going to college. And right. I, I, again, thankful to my parents for instilling that in me while it was my decision. <laughs> There's a whole lot of influence for mom oh, yeah. and dad yeah, in no that doubt. decision. No doubt. Um, and so I did. And I went my first two years, I actually went to George Washington University. Uh-huh. Uh, and I transferred after my sophomore year. My coach <laughs> dates me and I feel like a dinosaur sometimes, <laughs> but um, I, the head coach at George Washington left to become a uh, a scout with the uh, Miami Marlins. I had uh-huh. to get it right because that's what they were called back then. Yeah, it was their, right. it was their very first year being in existence. Right. right. And so it was a, an expansion club. He took its great opportunity. And so with that, I was able to get an outright release. I didn't have to sit out a year because I transferred schools. So I left uh-huh. and I went to, to went to St. Andrews, which is which you, which you accurately stated. And it was a total baseball move. Obviously, George Washington University is a, a magnificent academic institution. Right. Right. Uh, and that was the drive between the uh, behind the initial choice. But because I actually proved, I guess, at that level, at the Division One level, that I was actually pretty good at that. Pretty good at baseball. Uh-huh. I went to North Carolina because, little known fact, the North state of North Carolina has more scouts per capita than any other state in the union. <laughs> ah, there, that's that's a fun fact. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it was very much a baseball move. Uh, wonderful coach there. It was an up and coming program at the time. Uh, they were NAIA and division, going to division two. Well, well established and kind of a powerhouse actually. Right. Um, uh, but very little known. Nobody knows where that's where Laurenburg, North Carolina is. I didn't even know where it was. Actually, <laughs> right. I went there sight unseen. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually went there for the last two years. Like you said, I uh, graduated from there, got drafted, played four years with the Orioles. So fast forward during the time where I'm playing with the Orioles. Um, obviously, my dad's still a coach with the Orioles as well. Right. And Peter Angelos. Who is the what the primary the the uh, lead owner of the Orioles? They're owned by a conglomerate, a collection of people. However, right. he is the primary owner of the team, and he is a very prominent lawyer who made his money in asbestos litigation. Uh huh. Has a huge law firm in in Baltimore City. Uh. And what he would do is with high we would say highfalutin, highfalutin clients, he would bring them down to the team uh-huh. and show off, you know. <laughs> this thing that he owned <laughs> sure, sure sure so why not why not it's like air force does the same thing you know we bring in uh high power people and we show off our toys you know be it be it jets or weapon systems we show them off when we right, visit right so he would do the same thing but he had a li- liaison between the law firm and the um and the ball club and that liaison uh became a good life life friend of mine and his name was uh david Bolgiano. Uh-huh. He was a he was a jag before okay. he was a, he was actually a Baltimore City cop, then right. Baltimore City cop, then he went to law school, then he went became a jag in the army. He was huh. the 82nd Airborne, right? And then he left, 
got his law degree. <laughs> wow. Excuse me. Then he left, got a civilian job, and actually worked his way up to become an associate with Mr. Angelos. Right. So he was the person who would bring these, you know, these clients by, and while they're, you know, jaw dropped and oohing and on, he would just stand around at the back, and we'd have many conversations. My dad would uh-huh. be in contact with him. Right. Um, and we became very good friends, and so. I was interested in law. Like I said, there was always had to be something after baseball. Right. And so uh, he would talk to me and about law, period, and being becoming a lawyer. But then he said, if, there, if you ever do it, if you're really serious about this, please, you know, please keep in mind the JAG Corps. It's, it's, it's a worthwhile yeah. endeavor. It's time of my life. Although I left, he left at 12 years. He goes, I don't regret a single day. And right. I miss it quite. I miss it quite often. And so, mm. and he stayed in the reserves. That was, okay. so he was still connected to the military. Right. right. Um, so I go to law school and um, ironically, I went to the University of Baltimore. Okay. Because uh, like I told you, I did get hurt in the third year of my career, came back, played the fourth year. I ruptured a disc in my back. Uh, um, and uh, so then I could actually, because when you're a kid and you're playing baseball, when you're an athlete, you think you're bulletproof <laughs> right, <laughs> until right. life and life proves to you that you're not. And that was the moment that yeah, I realized yeah, yeah. I'm not bulletproof. Now, now this so, was, this was, now, now, Colonel, this was in the uh, Orioles minor league system, correct? That is. I okay. was playing in okay. California league. Uh, yeah. I don't remember exactly where I was and what happened, but, uh, but yeah, um, popped and had some emergency surgery. They flew me back. I, basically i played for actually I played for four months with it ruptured without wow. knowing it was ruptured uh-huh. we got an mri and they were it was immediate because it was that bad they were like sure don't sure. know how you're not paralyzed but you could be right <laughs> so right. we need to get you we need to get you on a table really fast so they flew wow. me back i had surgery um at hopkins and the rest is as they say is history it was sure. great uh, great sure. doctors and very thankful for that right but um Especially after that year, I became very serious about what am I going to do next. And right. so I would talk with Mr. Bolgiano, and um, he actually taught a course. Well, actually, like I said, I went to actually went to Mr. Angelos, met him in his office, and said, mm-hmm. "I want to, you know, I want to go to law school." And right. He grilled me for right. about fifteen minutes as to why, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he made a call. Um, and I think I was actually intent on going to University of Maryland, but uh-huh. he's actually the benefactor for uh, University of Baltimore, which is where I went to law school. Right. And he made a couple right. calls. I'd, I'd applied to both, but got into both. But that one was a lot easier and a lot faster. So yeah. I started law school right away. Um, third year of law school, Mr. Bolgiano, Dave Bolgiano was actually teaching a course on military law at University uh-huh. of Baltimore because that's also his alma mater. Right. And um, of course, I took it because I was like, you know, the professor, that can't be a bad thing. There you go. Um, so we spent that whole semester really talking it through um, what I was going to do. And the funny thing is, he said, well, Ryan, if you've listened to me at all, and I doubt that you have. I know I've been a pest to you about joining the JAG Corps. But if you do it, uh, you have to hear me on this one thing. If you're going to join, if you're going to join, go Air Force. And I was there like, you, you okay. were an Army JAG. You were 82nd Airborne. That sounds cool. Yeah. As, you know, cool as all get out. He was like, yeah, there's a little thing called quality of life. You don't know what that means. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you have no yeah. idea what that, that term means right that now. Ha- that has always been a staple for the United States Air Force. No doubt about that. It has. And he was right. And I do know what it meant. I learned quickly what it meant and the difference between. He was like, you don't know what it means, but you got to trust me on this one. Because he had switched to the Air Reserve at that right, point. Right. <clears throat> uh, and so... Uh, I joined 
And Very good. Actually, I was already accepted to the Army Jack Corps. I had to put in a quick application to the yeah. Air Force Jack Corps. <laughs> but uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Because yeah. I had, because of my career path, obviously, because, you know, two years at GW and two years at St. Andrews, four years of college, and then uh-huh. playing for four years of baseball and doing three years of law school. The reality was the four-year commitment. I was like, I can do anything for four years, even if it's terrible. Right, right. Even if it's the worst thing ever. And I, uh, mm-hmm. I went into it saying, I'll do this as long as it's fun. And if not, I'll move on and do the next thing. Because actually, the quick quick segue at one part that I did leave out is I actually practiced for the better part of a year. When I was, when I was in law school, uh-huh. I worked with a man called uh, Harold Glazer. Yeah. He taught me pretty much how to be a lawyer, how to walk, talk. I was more his apprentice than anything uh-huh. else. And uh, at the at the about the 10 month mark, he offered me a partnership in his law firm. I had my application and I, excuse me, my acceptance into the Jack Corps. And I told right. him this was the direction I was going to go. Uh-huh. Uh, and honestly, that was waiting for me probably for the first 10 years of my career. He called wow. me every year be like, you sure you want to keep doing this? Because, you know, you have a job. Sure. And it was uh, like I said, I, I was going to do it just like my dad said with baseball. I'll do it till it's not fun anymore. Exactly. Now, uh, you know, fast forward uh, a few years. Obviously, uh, you've done, uh, according to your biography, you've done uh, quite a few things uh, since you made the transition to the legal profession, uh, you know, within the the, uh, the Air Force. Um, and uh, again, for, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, uh, you're fairly uh, new to OSI. Uh, as we do this interview, uh, you've only been, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, staff judge advocate for OSI uh, for the last few months. And so, uh, uh, given that uh, perspective, uh, uh, are, do you see any challenges of uh, becoming uh, the staff judge advocate for OSI? Uh, I've asked this question of a lot of folks as far as their challenges when they first come into the organization, and they talk about, oh, understanding the language, you know, the lingo, uh, you know, talking OSI, you know, what they do, uh, what have you. Uh, is that a fair assessment in your case as far as a challenge that you face as far as just becoming acclimated to the command? It most certainly is, and it, there's two parts to that. Uh, yes, it's the lingo, but I think after a certain amount of years in the Air Force where you where you talk and breathe alphabet soup, you just uh-huh. adjust on the fly to, to talking in the different acronyms and figuring them out, uh-huh. um, especially if you've done which I've had the benefit of doing like joint assignments where, you know, if you're rubbing elbows with army, you're like, I have no idea what they're saying. Or right, you're rubbing right. elbows with Marines. And you're like, that is a <laughs> sure. whole different language, which you're speaking. Sure. But you know, after, after a couple of months, you're like, I got it. You know, and you're doing uh-huh. the same thing. You're talking the same language as them. So that's yeah. the easy part. I would and I would say. imagine being in the legal profession, that language is a very integral part of what you do. <laughs> it most certainly is. And so it's very important to, uh, spin yourself up as quickly as possible and hit the ground right. running as as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. Um, as you said, my background and all the different things that I was I have been able to do, I've been primarily, to be honest, uh, a litigator. Uh, I've done, spent my career doing justice. That's what I did before I came into the, into the JAG Corps. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, that is my passion. Uh, it's funny that there are oath is to the constitution because that's, that document is literally why I became a lawyer, why right. I stay a lawyer and what, what I find fun about it. So sure. uh, the fact that that's the only thing that we swear an oath to is military members. Uh, uh-huh. And it ain't, you know, it's not a person, it's not an office. It's that document is one of the cool things about, again, it keeps it fun, quite frankly. Right. But I will right. say that the challenge with OSI is it, it's, it, it's the culture. Uh-huh. The OSI is co- also OSI 
clearly is built up on agents, right? And agents are agents. And I have, um, again, a cool life and no regrets and and I'm very fortunate. I've been blessed to know and befriend and take my story back actually before baseball even. Uh Um, uh, When I was in college, I was actually recruited by the FBI Oh. And uh, because I was an accounting major, I was one. Of, I'm one of those lawyers that actually can do uh-huh. numbers. Right. And so, okay. <laughs> and right. so I was an accounting major uh, going coming out of high school, and that's right. you know back then and probably still they you know they have they have a need and love for bringing in people with accounting degrees, right. CPAs right. or lawyers. Right. And so, <laughs> and so uh, I've I've known quite a few or at least a couple, three agents very well several obviously throughout my career and several law enforcement my best friend on the planet is actually a baltimore city cop uh-huh. now re- now retired right. but um the point is uh law enforcement think a certain way they breathe a certain way they act a certain way like i said yeah. well i've had the the opportunity to rub elbows with and be friends with several in my life being part of an organization exclusively basically exclusively populated by uh, law enforcement uh-huh. or uh-huh. or agents that's the that's the challenge, yeah. Because it's it it is quite frankly a different mindset, and it's not a that's not a negative comment. Quite frankly, if you're in a flying squadron and you're surrounded by pilots, and you weren't a pilot, trust and believe, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a different it's a different mindset, and you just have to you know, have to figure your way and figure out how to navigate in that space. So sure. that that is the challenge. On top of, quite frankly, blessed to have been at various bases that had really quality debts throughout my career, and because uh-huh. I was doing lo- law enforcement or basically litigating i was working hand in hand with very good uh debt codes throughout my career right and also people that let me look behind the curtain a little bit in osi Uh as i went so unlike many and i and i don't i'm not besmirching anybody Uh i think many just don't appreciate all the things that osi does i think they think of osi just as law law enforcement you know yeah and they don't appreciate the other half of the house and yeah you know yeah yeah go ahead and so it's that other half of the house that I actually knew before I got here uh, that I've enjoyed. And that's the hard part, right? And because becoming part of, you know, the Intel community, in fact, you don't get, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a buy invite only type of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, until you're in it, it's almost impossible to know it because sure. it's the Intel community. So being a part of that and spinning myself up on that, that's the biggest challenge I would say. Right. Now, given given all the the, the folks that you've met, uh, you know, within the command so far and, and, and what have you, uh, and, and your uh, past association with uh, OSI and law enforcement, um, why do you consider from your perspective diversity and inclusion being foundational to the success of OSI, you know, since uh, this particular podcast deals with, you know, the diversity and inclusion of our command-wide members, as we said in the opening, uh, how important uh, is DNI as you see it from your legal perspective? It's absolutely uh, not just important to the organizational success of OSI. It's important to the organizational success of the Air Force and beyond that, the, the Department of Defense. Uh-huh. Um, this isn't a downer moment. It's just a fa- statement of fact. The fact of the matter is, I am one of two uh, black uh, colonels, Colonel Jags, in the United States Air Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a kind of a staggering number when you stop and think about it, especially when you think of the actually sheer number of Jags that there are. Right. Um, uh, and I have felt it 
one throughout my career, and I'm using me as an example to, il to, to illustrate the importance uh, for not just, like I said, OSI, but the Air Force writ large. Sure. Um, is throughout my career, I've been, I've had junior officers or out people, not me, come up to me and say the words, uh, you're a unicorn. And I didn't know what it meant. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. I didn't know what they meant. And I was like, right. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. And when they explained it, it made sense. You know what I mean? It, it instantly, I was like, oh, oh, that's what you're saying. Like, right, right. You don't exist. Like I'm, you are basically a mythical creature that no one else, yet, <laughs> no one gets to see. And if you ever get to see one, no one will believe you if you uh -huh. say you saw one. Right. And so, right. and as I've made my way up through the ranks, you know, that's what they, you know, that's what, they, and I, and I get it. I get it now more than ever because now I have brand new Jags or brand new officers, be they uh, first, uh, first lieutenants, captains, some, and even majors wondering, you know, how is it that I got to where I am because there's no yeah. one else like me around me. And so, right. um, so be that, be it race, be it sex, be it orientation, it doesn't matter. Uh -huh. um, when there is no one like you in positions that matter, it's hard to keep that talent. And I think keeping talent, no matter their their origin or their background, is incredibly important to the success of OSI. Uh -huh. And that and that's why, quite frankly, our leader, you know, General Bullard, spent right. <laughs> a good chunk of his time, um, you know, away from the command, basically being a part of the Air Force's DNI. You know, actually, uh, I think it was a cross service, actually DNI. Right. Um, uh, I don't know, it was a case study or working, was a working group. Mm -hmm. And um, put it this way, if your commander, if you're, you're the person at the top of the chain believes it's a priority to step away from his command to do something, it's got to be a priority for the rest of the command. Sure. Now, given that uh, kind of segues into my next question, Colonel, uh, putting on your recruiting hat for a little bit, what advice would you give someone who would like to join OSI, given what you just explained about, uh, you know, the command's posture on DNI? Actually, that makes it a great place to work. Um, obviously, it can't be dependent on the individual. We can't have General Bullet forever. <laughs> right, sure. Uh, but the point is, you we do, you're, it, it, especially now, it's at a great point in time where there is a focus on uh, diversity and inclusion. And, and in fact, a leader who is dynamic, who is engaging, um, and quite frankly, cares about the people. Because mm -hmm. that's what, I, that's what, you talk about you know someone's life and background and what brings you to where you are that's what i've learned you know i've spent my entire life in and around teams right and teams um and you know on the athletic you just across the spectrum of things and teams uh -huh. are that's the best thing about a team uh we're, we're in playoff season for my favorite for baseball right now yeah you look yeah. at the rot you look at a roster and you know uh there's people from all over the globe contributing to one thing and everything else goes out the window. Exactly. That's that's what OSI is. And more importantly, that's what OSI has to be in order to be successful. To be successful in all of the mission spaces that we have, it uh -huh. had we have we have to be diverse. We have to be inclusive or else we won't be able to operate, especially in, in the world that we exist in to now and the challenges that we're faced with in the right. environments that we're forced to work within. So the recruiting pitch would be there is no better place to be and if you know if that's you you have a passion for the things that fall within the mission set of osi there is no other place you'd want to be 
because uh, being a part of the Department of Defense, one, but two, this organization and, and the many things and several of them are classified, but right, sure. the cool things, the cool things, if you if you get in and you're part of the club that you'll be allowed to do, um, uh, you won't have these opportunities in many other uh, organizations and you won't be given the responsibility as early. To, that was kind of the draw even for me in law mm -hmm. and it will come up to become a JAG. You won't be given the responsibility as early which means that, you know, that you'll grow as fast um, in any other place. So that, right. now, that'd be my pitch. Colonel, that said, what direction do you envision OSI going into the future? Granted, you want to be with the organization uh, a fairly short time, but uh, uh, has that been a good sample size for you to uh, get a get a handle on to, uh, uh, you know, what direction this command is headed? A little bit. And, you know, being the SJA, you are attached, or I am attached directly to, um, the commander that, right, that is right. who that is who i am charged with providing advice to on a day-to-day -day basis and sure. that being the case i have had the opportunity to sit down with our, our boss uh several times and i think and this is from a limited sample size as you said so right. take take that for what it is sure um i think as you've seen over the past couple of years we have grown and we have grown at a time when the rest of the department of defense is shrinking and if mm -hmm. that tells you anything, that tells you that what we do and what we provide to the Department of Defense is extremely important yeah. because do do dollars, <laughs> dollars are not easy to come by. So when right. an organization is given the extra billets, is given the extra missions, one, it's a great place to be. Two, it's very important to the overarching mission. And three, we're going to keep growing. That's, mm -hmm. what, I, that's what I see. Mm -hmm. um, and that presents, uh, quite frankly, a challenge, a challenge, challenge to leaders and a challenge to people even at the tactical level, because we're going to be in spaces that we haven't been before. Right. And that's right. that's a good thing and a challenge at the same time. So that's what I see. Right. Uh, finally, Colonel, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I just want to say thank you, one, for having me uh, aboard so I could share a little bit of my story and introduce myself to, to you and to the command. And more importantly, I want to say thanks uh, to anyone and out there who's listening, especially that's part of the OSI family, because um, open me, welcome me, excuse me, with open arms. And uh, it's great to be a part of this team. It's great to, great to face the challenges that I've just talked about with such a um, qualified and uh, energized team team it's a it's a wonderful place to be quite frankly well said our guest has been colonel ryan hendricks the staff judge advocate for headquarters osi colonel thanks again for taking the time to be with us it was it was great chatting baseball and uh, osi with you much appreciated thanks for having me again and thanks to all of you listening for tuning in for osi today my osi journey i'm wayne amon saying so long for now <laughs>